So we're going to continue in the book of Matthew. Um, so if you would turn with me, we're, we're in Matthew 18. We're going to jump ahead to Matthew 18, starting at verse 15. So if you have your Bibles, would you join with me today, please? Matthew 18, verses 15 to 20. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. So, jumping into this this morning, um, appreciate what, what um, Andrew gave to us and, and, and prefacing even, even this morning's message um, wrapped around Hebrews 10 and, and coming together and being in fellowship because this really is a, is a message on relationship. That's really what it is about today. Um, and so one of the things I like to do with my kids at school, I talk about begin with the end in mind as one of our leadership principles. So let me tell you where we're headed, um, and, I, and I think that that will help kind of push and facilitate where we're going. So we are talking about church discipline. We're going to talk about the stages of church discipline. And then as time permits, I wanted to give some of the examples of, of church discipline and how, and how it is, is, is played out. In scripture, so this is what I wanted to do. All right, so if you all got your notes, you ready? I want to give you something ahead of time to be mulling over. In the interest of time, I may say, which one would you like to talk about? So, in the examples of church discipline, here here are the here are the points. A Christian sins against another Christian. Matthew eighteen fifteen to twenty two. We're gonna we're gonna unpackage that one here. Um, but blaspheming God. That's 1 Timothy 1, 18 to 20. You want to write that one down? Habitual doctrine debater. 2 Timothy 2, 14 to 19. A divisive Christian. Titus 3, 10 through 11. A Christian who promotes legalism. Galatians 5, 7 through 15. And a Christian refusing to obey civil laws, Romans 13, 1 through 7. And an alleged offended Christian, offended Christian seeking legal recourse, 1 Corinthians 6, 1 through 8. So as, as we plow through the message and we get towards the end, depending on kind of where we are with time, I may not unpackage all of those. So... In, in this time as you're reading, if you, if you pick one of those, you're like, yeah, I really would like to kind of hear what this one says. Just don't be afraid to go, can we, can we jump to that one? Okay, just so this all just kind of depends on where we are with the time. But I wanted to value your time and honor your time so that you have these ahead of time 
and you can, you can read and study those on your own. Does that make sense? So you know where we're headed at the end? Everybody got it? Good to go. Okay, so it says, if your brother sins against you, back in Matthew 18. I've got to put on my glasses again. It's getting bad. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Wow. If your brother sins against you. This is nothing to, to be treated lightly, y'all. This, this is an issue. Um, can we all admit that we all sin? Can, can we do that? Can we get that elephant out of the room? None of us are perfect. None of us are holy. Even though he says in, in Peter, be holy as I am holy. That, that's, our, that's our aim of glorification, amen, in our journey of, of salvation. So none of us have it right, do we? None of, none of us have it right. Um, and, I, and I think this passage, again, lends itself to really reinforcing where, where we are in our church of going, church, we have to be doing this right. We have to be doing this right together because we are the body of Jesus Christ. So I'm not going to get it right every time. I'm going to mess up. I'm probably going to do something really stupid. You didn't have to nod so agreeingly in this corner over here. Um, but says, if someone sins against you, what do you do? Go to him or her one-on-one, -on -one, alone. I love that. Why, why are we doing this? Why, why do we go at this? Because sin is dangerous. Sin is, not, sin is not an oops. Sin is not, oh, I kind of messed up. Sin is a, is, a, is a condition that creates a wedge. And that is what sin has done and what Christ had to do to defeat, right? What sin had done. So as Christ followers, that wedge gets put right back in there when sin is in the camp. And the effectiveness of the body is hindered greatly because of sin. So this is not something that's to be taken lightly. And as a result, there, there's, an, there's an emphasis in, in, in Jesus' teaching in this that when he says, if and when a brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him. That's hard. I'm not, I'm not going to stand here and say that's an easy job. Because what would be easier is to throw it on Facebook. Idiot. Just can't stand it when certain people just blah, 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 blah. It just absolutely breaks my heart that blah, 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 blah. And they never mention a name, but boy, it's pretty easy to figure out what's going on. That's a whole lot easier than going to your brother and in love confronting him or her about a sin issue. But look at what it says next. If he listens to you, you have gained a brother. So the ultimate goal in this is to restore, reconcile, redeem, get back. It's not to destroy. It's not to beat up. It's not to push down. It's not to I told you so. 
It's not to kick their spiritual hind end out the door and have nothing to do with them. What's another reason why we want to go it alone? I kind of, kind of gave the hint about the Facebook, but what would be a reason? Why would you go alone? Less threatening? Sure, absolutely. There we go. Oh, if y'all don't understand gossip, go to, go to Proverbs. There's some great passages about gossip. But how many of you can get caught up in gossip? I can be like the People magazine of, of the church and want to know, you, you know what I'm saying? Did you hear? Did you, did, did you, did you know about? It's gossip. That's gossip. It just, it just doesn't need to be. And so, ironically, the going alone prevents you from falling into the same error of, of self-motivated desires to probably do something that's not right. Does that make sense? You, you tracking with that? So it says if, if you go and, and, and he listens to you, you've gained a brother. What a, what a beautiful picture because, again, the whole idea of this is that, a, a, that, that offending brother is brought back into a right relationship. Does that make sense? So, so there's just some beauty there. But if he doesn't listen, take one or two others along with you. Remember how we were talking, the, the preface of all of this is about relationship and the value. What are we? We are the body of Christ, right? And we are in community, literally, physically, but also spiritually, that we are, we are body parts. And, 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 and Ephesians talks about that, that the body needs to be working properly. And one of the best, most surefire ways for the body to be wounded is to have sin in the camp. It really is. It really is. And in Ephesians, it also talks about spiritual warfare. And when we talk about that spiritual warfare and all of the armor, there's nothing that talks about guarding the back. Why? Because what did the Roman soldiers do with, with their type of battle? They would first... Pre- present this huge combined front with the shield and the sword, and they'd march into battle straight into like this. And that's imposing. And that's scary, right? But then when it got into hand-to-hand combat, what did the soldiers do? They went back to back. I've got your back, you've got my back. Sin weakens that. Because if you are rendered ineffective, who's got my back? So you see the seriousness of this and the reason why this is, this is very important. So I encourage you, go back and read our bylaws, the changes that we've made. Go back and read everything that we've talked about, that one of the offices is the church body, the membership. And one of the prime responsibilities that we have in this authentic relationship is the issue of dealing with sin in the camp and the seriousness of that. And we take that very seriously. So again, I love you all. None of you are perfect. None of you got it together. None of you are going to get it together in the short run. But Lord willing, in that beautiful moment of glorification, we can go, thank you, Jesus.
So we should be growing in our holiness, but along that journey, we are growing together as brothers and sisters. So the joy of this in that fellowship, in that relationship, is that, is that deep understanding that we are doing this together, and we need each other. So the seriousness of this is it's pretty profound. So taking one or two gives us that authority, not just to go, ooh, come here, can I tell you what he did? You got to come with me because we got we we to deal with this. Let's go kick his butt. I say that out loud. I was thinking it. I shouldn't have said that. We need to go after him. That's not what this means. Who is the one or two that you're taking? Somebody engaged in right relationship with you, but somebody who also should be engaged in that right relationship with that brother or that sister that, that's, that's caused this. There's a closeness there that, 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 I, that I believe that this, that this really kind of intimates. It's not just, let's, hey, come here, bud. We've got to go talk to this guy. I, I don't know him. Well, I don't know him that well. You, he did what? Hmm. We don't, we don't need to bring in that. We need to bring in our brothers and sisters that are close to the situation, that have an understanding of what may be going on in this person's life. And go, man, my heart is breaking in this situation, can, can you come with me? Does that make sense? Is everybody tracking on that one? If this spiritual bonehead doesn't get it from that, what's the next step? Tell it to the church. Now, I want to encourage this, this point here. I want, to, I want to create some clarification on this point because I, I've seen... I've seen seen the effects of this done poorly. If this brother is rebellious and, and not wanting to relent in what needs to be done in getting this right, this is not the verse that says, now let's put it on the church Facebook page and tell everybody. Does that make sense? This is where the seriousness of that sin is a confrontation that is church-based, body-based. I would, I would submit to you that this is the point at which your elders get involved as representatives of the church as a whole. Does that make sense? This is the point that your grow group leader, of, again, of which hopefully that's where this, this relationship component is building in to go, we need to make this aware to more than just me. This doesn't become the, let's throw it out there and let everybody now, hey, he's coming to church today, let's get him. It's not what this means. This means that this becomes such a serious point that the seriousness of this sin is to where this needs to be confronted at a, at a larger level, okay, because it is serious, and it is hurting and wounding the church. Does that make sense? So I would, again, offer this bit of advice that if this happens in your life and you get to the point where, where, where your brother, and again, 
This, 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 is, this should be very painful. This is not a fun thing. This should be a very painful thing. That if this person is continuing in their rebellion, bringing the elders into this situation, bringing your grow group leader, creates an issue that says to this person, this is that serious. Okay? It's still not the gossip session. Because I think what happens after that is where this creates the public knowledge. Because what does it say after that? If he refuses to listen even to the church, then I think that that is the point when it says treat him as a Gentile or as a tax collector. If at this point in time, this person probably in, in, in this context, was what we would call a member of the church. If there is a refusal to heed this level of discipline, there needs to be a public acknowledgement to all of the church to know what's going on and to say, because of this that's happened, we, we are severing fellowship and it breaks our heart. It's not that we find joy in this. It's not that we find this to be fun. It's not that we find this to be convenient. It, it, should, it should break our heart because a piece of the body has been, has been broken away. Does, does, it, does that resonate here? So let's talk then about what I think are the five stages of this level of church discipline. Can we do that? So here they are. I'm going to read them to you. First one is conviction. This is, the rec this is that person's recognition of sin. Okay, conviction. Then there's confession. Then there's repentance. Then there's restitution. And then reconciliation. So let me say those again for you. Conviction. Confession. Repentance. Restitution. And reconciliation. CC, CCR, Cretans Clearwater Revival times three. CCRRR, there you go. Got it? Everybody get all those? One more time, sorry. Here we go. Conviction, confession, repentance, restitution, and reconciliation. So let's talk conviction. Um, how many of you know where the book of Lamentations is? Okay, first one to find it, stand up. Lamentations 1, 18 to 20. Sword drill. I was like, man, this is when I wish I had the tabs on my Bible. Ezekiel, Daniel, right? Nice. Woohoo. She got it. Uh, so, so Lamentations chapter 1 is, is um, really an interesting, an interesting passage. This whole book is an amazing book, by the way. It, it's, it's really one of those gut check books to read. Um, but but this, is, this is actually a commentary on the children of Israel and, and the, the actual sin in the camp 
of, of the tribe of Israel. So you can read the whole thing if you want, but, but go, go ahead with me to, to Lamentations 1. We're going to go towards the end here. And it says at verse 18, the Lord is in the right. Why is the Lord in the right? Why is he in the right? Because he is never in the, because he is, there you go. He can't be wrong, can he? He can't be wrong. So if something ain't right, whose fault is it? You see where I'm going with this? For I have rebelled against what? His word. That's pretty, that's pretty powerful, isn't it? But hear all you peoples and see my suffering. My young women and my young men have gone into captivity. I called to my lovers, but they deceived me. My priests and the elders perished in the city while they sought food to receive their strength. Look, O Lord, for I am in distress and my stomach churns. My heart is wrung within me because what? I have been rebellious. Seriousness of sin should, should evoke in us a seriousness of that sin. Not to be taken lightly. Oh, God, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. Oh, God, I'm sorry. I can move on. It's all good. This is, this is not what we see here. The seriousness of sin in our lives should literally wring our hearts. Should literally gut us because of what it does in our relationship between us and God Almighty. This should not be taken lightly. The seriousness of sin. So, it should be convicting. So, in that point when that brother comes or you go and go in prayer the seriousness of this should be something that we, we go into this with prayer that, that the Lord would, would bring about this conviction so from there we go into James chapter 5 really interesting passage that, that talks about this passage is talking about um, the laying on of the elders hands on those who are sick and there are those that, that have, in this passage, that tend to believe that, that because of the effect of sin in our lives, it can bring around, uh, about sickness. And I'm not going not gonna to jump into that, that doctrinal debate right now. But there's an interesting passage in there. And again, it goes back to relationship. If any of you have sinned, what, what are you supposed to do in James 5? Confess it to one another. So this really kind of does beautifully go hand in hand with, with the Mat Matthew 18 principle that, that when there's this conviction of sin, there should be this recognition of that and this confession to our brothers and our sisters because of, because of this, the, the immensity of what this sin has potentially done to the church. So in that relationship, it's not like you're, you're going and you're, you're telling all of your deep, dark secrets as, as, as one of shame. It should be that I am confessing to my brother whose heart for me 
is to see me glorify Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? And so if there is a realness and a rawness in our relationship, there should also be an authentic closeness that that confession should be one of, of, of freedom. And, and don't take this the wrong way, one of joy that I should be able to go, man, I've just screwed this up so badly. You've got to really tell you that this, this really has woven deeper than you think, and, and I just need to confess this. And what does the brother do with that? The brother should weep with them. The brother should pray with them. The brother should say, man, I can't. It breaks my heart to know that this was going on in your life and I've not been there for you. Will you forgive me for not being there for you? Is this the beauty of this relationship being forged the right way? Turn with me to Acts chapter 13. Or, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 3. And also, pencil pocket, um, 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 10. So Acts 3.19 and 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Um, the, the next stage of this is, is once there's this conviction and confession, there should be this level of repentance. So, so look at what, what Peter has to say about, about repentance. Acts 3. What, what, is, what is special about Acts 3? What's, what's going on there? Anybody? 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 This is Peter speaking. Listen to what he says here in um, Acts 3.19. Let's go back, go to 17. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance as you did, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, and he thus fulfilled. Listen to this. As a result of what Jesus has already done, right? It's not what we get to do. It's not, it's not. It's not, I get to fix this, I get to, I get to make it right. It's because of what Jesus has done is as the Redeemer, as the one who has bought and paid for our sin. Look at what it says. Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out. Very interesting phrases there. So this idea of repent. How serious is sin? Right? Romans 12 says that we should abhor that which is evil. Do we look at our sin as something that is so ugly and horrible that it literally makes us want to turn away from it? But yet this is what Peter is saying. Repent, therefore, and turn again. So this is an active work. Jesus says in, in, in Mark, your heart is nasty. Your heart is ugly. There is nothing good about you. Turn to the person next to you and go, there's nothing good about you. Except for the grace of Jesus Christ. Amen. What, what's in our heart? It's not the outside that makes us ugly. It's not the outside that makes us unclean. It's all the stuff that comes out of our heart. And what comes out of our heart? Anybody want to start just rolling those things out? Because I got some ugly ones, okay? Our natural habit is to turn back to that which is comfortable. 
that which is easy, that which is habitual. Because our heart nature is still sin nature. So this act of repentance is one of those that we literally are going like this. I've got to turn away from that which I would love to do. That which has been easy for me. That which is, which is always constantly tempting me. You, you, you tracking? And, and actively go, no, 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 no. I know, I know, no, no, no. Because the interesting thing about that living a repentant life is you're constantly saying through the work and the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, I am turning away from that which will make me sin. You catch that? All of those things are right there. All of those things are ever present in my heart. And we should actively be living a repentant life. But he says, repent therefore and do what? And turn again. So the irony is, is that this beauty of going, man, this is right here. Oh, man, I would love to pick that up. Nope. It's the turning away and turning towards what? Turning toward holiness. Turning towards seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Moving forward in that journey. See, that's the interesting thing. Repentance is, 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 never, is never a static thing. Repentance is never static. Static is status quo, and status quo is very dangerous. So in, in the idea, of, in the understanding of abhorring that which is evil, this repentant life should be saying, man, I'm constantly, always turning away. And I've said this before, how many of you have, have gotten into the habit that when you drive from work and you head home, you get lost in the thought and you realize a couple seconds later, I've been driving and didn't even know that I made that turn because it's such an ingrained habit. This is that picture of saying, as much as I would like to drive to this home, it is no longer my home. I've got to constantly be turning in that new direction. And that new direction is walking in step and in relationship with the Holy Spirit being guided and directed by Him. Fruit-led living versus flesh-led living. So, repentance. The next one is reconciliation. I'm sorry, restitution. I take that back. Luke 19, chapter 8. So, we go from repentance to restitution. The beautiful little little picture here. This is the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus was a how do you do that? That's not even in our language anymore. Zacchaeus was a shorty. Zacchaeus was vertically challenged. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, because you all started singing it. That's what's funny. How many of you actually, in order to say that, had to almost start singing the song, right? But when Zacchaeus was confronted, and what was Zacchaeus? Besides being a wee little man, he was a tax collector. So, so this, this, this interesting picture comes, comes to light with 
with Jesus even mentioning in Matthew 18 to treat him as a tax collector. They were not liked. Tax collectors in the, in the, in the, in the Jewish community was not liked because basically they were sellouts and basically robbing their own people to give to the Romans. When, when Zacchaeus was confronted by Jesus and that, that beautiful conviction, confession, and repentance happened in that moment there with Zacchaeus, what does Zacchaeus say I will do? What's it say he's going to do? Yeah. If I have wronged anybody, I'm going to fix it and make it right. But not only am I going to fix it and make it right, if necessary, I will go above and beyond. So, so this, this was a literal for Zacchaeus. Because as a tax collector, Zacchaeus was, was wealthy. So for him to say, not only have, have I recognized that I am so wrong, but I'm going to do everything to make it right, even to the point that he literally is going to give up all of his wealth in order to make it right. And if I have to go above and beyond and give more to make restitution, to make it right, I will do that. This was financially sinking his portfolio. His 401k is going to be drained. Because that's how serious he was in wanting to make this right. So in the idea of restitution, this is the whole idea of restoring to an original state or making good any losses where possible. So again, think of this with our brothers and our sisters. That idea of restitution is that beautiful relationship forging. We want to see the body working well, functioning well. That in, this idea, that in this idea of restitution, I want to make right what I've done. Not only do I want to make it right, but I want to make it really right. I'm going to go way out of my way to do what's necessary to make it right between you and me. Isn't that a beautiful thought? Isn't that a beautiful picture? So, so as this brother has come around back in Matthew 18 where it says, if he listens, you have gained a brother. If he listens after the one or two have gone, you have still gained a brother. So this under, understanding of restitution should, should also be one of humility and one of joy. This is, this, I, happy to do this. Zacchaeus was happy to do this. He was so convicted and so real, realizing the evil that he had done, that he was willing to go way beyond to make it right. Restitu restitution. And then the last one, reconciliation. This is where we rebuild that trust. How many of you really, really have, have a difficult time when people break your trust? I do. I do. I used to be one of those that... that Literally was the glass is not half full. That glass is ready to be filled up. I'm always believe, I used to say I always believe the best in everybody. But you know what I've quickly learned? Most people let me down. And 
I have gotten to the point where I'm very careful because I, I still in my heart always want to believe the best in people. I really, really do. But I, I am that person that is once bitten, twice shy. And I'm real careful. Does that make, does, does anybody else feel that way about relationships? You fool me once, shame on me, fool me twice. didn't watch the movie Night at the Museum. Fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, shame on you. But the fact that you get fooled twice should, should, should break our heart in the church. Does that, you, you tracking with that? This is the seriousness of sin. So that, that reconciliation for us should be, what do I need to do to rebuild that trust? That's going to take work. doesn't mean that I'm going to keep holding this over your head and dangling you out here going, eh, sorry, you still haven't gotten it right yet, bud. I'm going to keep you at arm's distance. It's not what this means. This is not me holding it against you and keeping bringing it up. Yeah, dude, man, I'd love to hang out with you this weekend, but nah, I don't know. Y'all probably still don't need to come over yet and hang out. I'm going to hold you. It's not what this means. It's the other side of this. It's that I need to be doing everything because I have offended you, because I have broken that trust. Man, I, I'm going to be doing everything within my power to regain that trust, to work on that relationship from my end. And pressing back into that relationship. Pressing back into that authenticity. Getting back at being in fellowship with the greater body. Because you know what I find? I find, and this is personal. I find that when I am struggling, I hole up. I go off the radar. Does that make sense? It's what I do. Yes, ma'am. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's both. I mean, his trust has been broken, right? Like, like if, if, if I really upset Danny and just, just broke him and, and I sinned against him, I've broken that relationship. I've broken that trust. What do I need to be due to actively rebuilding that trust? It, and it's not where he gets to go, mm, it's going to kind of hold you at bay here because you're, you're a jerk to me and I really don't like that and you made me feel bad and I'm going to take my playground ball and go home and you don't get to come hang out with me anymore until you really prove to me that you've gotten this right. It's not how we do this. So, so in the same side of that, that's why I'm saying it's, it's, it's a twofold relationship that the trust has been broken but I as the offender need to be doing everything within my power not only to make restitution but now rebuilding that trust that I have broken does that make sense but as brothers and sisters where we would want to go once bitten twice shy sorry dude I'm gonna I'm gonna hold you at bay for a while it's not how we should be acting either so it is it is a twofold rebuilding of the trust. Does that help? Thank you for that question. I, I, 
sorry that I wasn't clear on that, but yeah. Does that answer that though? Okay, so um, here we are. It is 11.16, and I want to honor your time. I hope that this has been helpful. I, I really do. Um, I want to offer to you one other thing. Um, I know that Matt and I have done this. I know that Danny has done this. I know that um, Rob has done this. Um, from some of the stuff that we've done with the men, we've worked on, on um, a communication model that if there's ever a conflict that you have and you need kind of coaching, there, there's a pretty cool tried and true method that help in that process of creating clear communication to rebuilding that and, and, and working through that so that if you need that, I'm happy to help out. Danny, I know you would too. So um, yeah, as a matter of fact, Danny and Julie have been through this. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's pretty powerful. So um, just as a resource, it's called the communication model that if you have a need to really go to somebody and you, and you need to work on that, We'd be happy to help. We'd be happy to coach. We'd be happy to be that mediator at the point if, if it's not done well one-on-one. Okay? Does that make sense? Just want to throw that out there sidebar. So in, in, in honoring our time, is there any one of these last uh, examples of church discipline that you may want to look over? Because if not, I don't, I don't want to make this go long today. But these are some excellent points in Scripture where the seriousness of sin gets confronted in the lives of the believers, okay? That's what these passages are. Um, And if you didn't get them all on the front side and you want them, just email me at spelt85 at gmail, and I'll be happy to email you these notes because it's it's just bullet points, okay? So you you can have all these passages of Scripture that you can use and chew back through. So happy to give those to you. But it is 1118, um... You want to come up and, and um, close us out? Really want to encourage us as, as brothers and sisters here today. Sin is nasty. Sin is serious. Sin drives a wedge in the work of the church. And brothers and sisters, we've been called in love to love well, to love right to love with intentionality. And if there is sin that is, that, is, that is creating a wedge and a gap in your relationship here in the church, please seek that out. Make that something that is a priority for you. And brothers and sisters, we've all screwed up. The, the, the act of conviction Confession, repentance is a beautiful thing that God can use to bless and strengthen and grow the church to making the church be effective. I don't want to avoid that fellowship as some in the habit are doing, but work to spur each other to love and good works as we see the day approaching. Amen. That's Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. God is good. And we as the church need to be working effectively to do what it is that God has called the church to do and be in a very, very dark world. We've got our work cut out for us and we need to do that together. Amen. Would you stand with me as we pray? Father, you are a good, good God. You are holy. 
want to worship you right now in spirit and in truth. By our actions, may we reflect the work and the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And as it is fleshed out in our relationships, may it be one of authenticity that we go, man, this is just just the Holy Spirit at work in me. It's not about me. It's about about you, Jesus. Father, we thank you for the church. We thank you for the body that we're part of. Man, give us the strength and the courage to love well, to love authentically, to spur and challenge and encourage our brothers to right relationship, to good work that again further points others to Jesus Christ. It's for his glory and his name alone that we pray. Amen.